Hello and welcome to the Global Captive Podcast and something that we used to call an emergency or bonus episode, but we've settled nowadays for a GCP explainer. And we have organized and recorded this GCP explainer at relatively the last minute because we are responding to the news that broke on 21st of March that the District Court of Eastern Tennessee has struck down the Internal Revenue Service's controversial notice 2016-66 because of its failure to comply with the Immersive Procedure Act. The court ruled that the notice had been arbitrary and capricious. The ruling has been labelled a total victory by Sean King of CIC Services that had brought the case and it will be celebrated by many involved in the 831B segment of the US captive industry. But what does this mean all in practice and are there longer term and wider implications and ramifications and does it aid existing or prospective captive owners at all? You may remember that in May 2021, we released a similar style episode in which we analysed and responded to CIC Services' victory over the IRS in the US Supreme Court. That victory, which ruled that the Anti-Injunction Act did not prevent CIC's suit being taken forward, was discussed in that episode, as well as the origins and detail of Notice 2016-66, and I have put a link to that episode in the show notes of this one. So if you missed it or would like a refresher, then please go back and give that a listen. But I'm delighted that joining us once again, we have the same lineup. I will be joined by Kevin Doherty, a member of Dickinson Wright's Law Practice in Nashville, Cassie Buckman, Managing Director of Operations and Legal at Elevate Risk Solutions, and Gary Osborne, Vice President at Risk Partners. So, Cassie, could you perhaps begin by explaining what this latest decision is all about and how is it different or, or moves the case on from the Supreme Court decision, which we did, we did discuss back in May 2021? Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we did go into detail on what Notice 2016-66 is, so I won't go into detail on that. I'll just, like you said, jump in. The Supreme Court ruled that the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, is applicable to this case. So it got sent back to the district court. That's that's the gist of it. So now the district court has ruled on the APA because it is it was determined that APA is applicable. So the Sixth Circuit in Tennessee, so that's Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, and Michigan. Those are the states in the Sixth Circuit of Tennessee. That judge, the federal district judge, ruled that 2016-66 should be invalid because the Administrative Procedures Act was not followed. So that's that's it in a nutshell. And it was ruled, you know, the issuance of the notice itself was arbitrary and capricious. So it didn't satisfy the APA's comment requirements. Thus, it ruled the, the he ruled the IRS must stop requiring the filing of the forms. And the IRS has to return all documents collected under the notice. Yeah, really interesting. And some quite strong words as well in, in the ruling, as we often see in, in, in these uh, judgments. Kevin, how big a victory is this? Or is this a victory at all? And how big a victory is it for the captive industry, specifically the middle market and, and, and players who focus on smaller captives that, that make the 831B election? Well, thanks, Richard. Good to uh, speak with you this morning. I think it's a it's a very big victory. Uh, it, it's not the end of the battle or the end of the war, but it's a, it's a significant 
moment in the in the course of of this battle with the IRS on these issues. Uh, we'll see what happens from here. I, I think it's likely that the IRS will appeal, but it's also likely that they will not win an appeal because I think it, the facts are pretty clear. Uh, as Cassie pointed out, that the court ruled that the APA was not followed. The ruling was arbitrary and capricious, which are the code words in administrative law for these types of things. And significantly, the Supreme Court also ruled that the Anti-Injunction Act did not preclude the plaintiff CIC services from moving forward. Now, what will happen from here if the IRS appeals? We'll see what happens. It's possible that they will uh, stay the case and stay the ruling pending the appeal. It's possible that the appellate court will rule that way. Uh, but again, I think that's unlikely. There is a very similar case, which was recently decided in the same circuit called Man Construction. And in Man Construction, the court ruled that uh, these matters, a very similar set of uh, circumstances involving an employee benefit plan, that this could move forward. And the way that the IRS acted in its notice was arbitrary and capricious and did not follow the notice and comment requirements uh, that were required. So uh, the Sixth Circuit will be bound. What we don't want to have happen is hopefully not have a competing case in another circuit which potentially could lead to another Supreme Court battle regarding the substance of these issues. I think, I think we have won on the substance at this point. Now, what will also likely happen, and this will ultimately not necessarily uh, be a victory for the taxpayer, if the IRS uh, decides to go back to the uh, drawing board and simply issue a new notice and actually comply with the APA requirements and give notice and comment and actually take those comments in appropriately, uh, then we'd be sort of right back where we started. However, uh, there'll be significant delay. And at least for the time being, this is a big win. So I just want to clarify for those non-lawyers listening to this, what does stay mean when you say they'll stay the case what they would do is they would say that we go back to square one before the ruling pending the decision of the appellate court. So in other words, the ruling that the court made that the APA invalidated the notice entirely, which because it's federal law and it's a federal court applies to the entire nation automatically, uh, that will be basically paused until the appellate court decides if that's the right ruling or not. Awesome. So does that mean then the filings are paused? If, if they stay the ruling, then the notice would remain in effect temporarily pending the appellate court's uh, ruling on the appeal, assuming we go down that road. Right now, as of now, before it's appealed, uh, we're all off the hook. Nobody has to file the, the notices. Yeah, that's why. I mean, we've got these April 15th deadlines coming up. So that's exciting news to share with clients. Right. Really good to have that explanation. It is a complex matter for particularly people like myself who aren't uh, lawyers, and, and particularly the US system is even less familiar to me than, than the UK legal system. Gary, from a kind of implications point of view for, for captive managers, how big a load or administrative burden is going to be lifted here uh, from captive managers and clients, or has the damage actually in that respect already been done? Oh, the vast majority of the damage has been done. And my, so my sort of biggest caveat is relates to what Kevin said is that I hope we actually get this back because I'm worried that we might be starting from scratch again. And so um, 
the thought of having, you know, this was a very time-consuming process four or five years ago. Uh, we gathered lots of information. I think the IRS had no idea how much they were going to receive. I mean, we've all got images of Raiders of the Lost Ark and mountains of boxes sitting somewhere in the IRS that have still never been opened. So we're just sort of, and then, so if we get them back, I'm actually a little more optimistic than if you know we're just sort of uh, this was stayed as it is and we don't get them back because I'm worried that we're as Kevin said the if they don't appeal there's a possibility they're going to start all over again and I'd probably like Kevin or Cassie just to ask about what that does to things like statute of limitations in these sort of situations because as a captain manager my only sort of what I hope the good thing here is that maybe this will push a couple of years away from the IRS in terms of what they can go back against the the administrative burden is not as bad as it was because at this point generally most captain managers have usually outsource this to the audit firms that are doing the tax returns because it was much more efficient to sort of have them do it and because coordinate it with tax returns. So I'm not sure that this is a massive victory in that point. I mean, again, obviously, we're probably delighted that it's going to save our clients money and not having to file them this year, we hope. But I'd certainly like Cassie or Kevin to chip in on what's the sort of reality of starting from scratch and what does it do to statute of limitations, how, how far back they can go. Well, I would just comment really quickly, Gary, it is still a big burden for captive managers. For example, if a captive is sold, or if the parent company sold and a trust owns it, but a trust owns that trust, and then there's 20 companies that are named insured, and then they have to file it. I mean, that takes hours and hours. Even if you do outsource it, you've got to dig up all of that information and then make sure it's followed through. Uh, and what about Cassie and Kevin on that statutory limitations that, that Gary said? Any any idea of what the impact might be there or is that kind of wait and see? Certainly it moves the ball forward regarding statute of limitations, which generally is three years and it's six years if there's fraud or a li- in this case, a listed transaction, which is what the notice was, was all about, was listing the micro-captive 831B as a uh, listed transaction, and which is statutory and rulemaking, but the IRS didn't follow the rules. They can't just make it up and make a what they call a legislative rule by imposing this requirement without going through the proper channels. So it's a little bit of a muddle, but there's no doubt that it moves the statute of limitations forward. Yeah, I would say, Kevin, isn't it a transaction of interest, not a listed transaction? Well, they were trying to make it. That's correct. They were trying to make it a listed transaction through a legislative rule making process, and they did not succeed in doing that. That's correct. It's, it's a right. transaction of interest. So that, that gives hope, you know, the three years. Correct. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be three years instead of six. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then... And it's three, you know, the statute of limitations runs from the time that you file your tax return. Most of these companies are probably filing later in the year, uh, September, say, for example. So right now, the relevant statute of limitations goes back to 2018, uh, if it's a three-year statute, because those haven't been filed, most likely won't be filed until later in the year. Or, or probably were filed in 2019 is what I'm saying later in the year. So what that does essentially is make it make it move forward, basically. 
that was what I was hoping um, because it's just I mean, the administrative burden. I do agree with Cassie. I mean, I've got some real estate companies that do this and the multiple owners, it's a nightmare trying to track all that down. I'm not disagreeing with her. Unfortunately, most of them have already done it, but but it is still a lot of time and tracking for, so you are correct. But I'm just worried, I said, that we have to go back and start all over again. But it could be the biggest upside I'm hoping to see here from this statute of limitation and everything else is that it might encourage people to consider. I mean, I've had several clients that could qualify for the 831B put off just by all this reporting and the sort of winning streak the IRS were on. And and I'll use it quite willingly, say there's been a, definitely an intimidation approach by the IRS with some of their letters and information they've sent out. So oh, it's, yeah. It's extremely encouraging to see some pushback against what I'd call it total intimidation that was a tried. I mean, they weren't even, I mean, I've heard of certain cases where I would have said it was very defendable, but people just didn't want to get into the fight because the way the IRS were wording it, the penalties and everything else were horrendous. So uh, it's nice to sort of have a little bit of a, an equal weight on one or the other side of the scale to hopefully going forward and increase the interest in what I call legitimate uses. I mean, I, just, I think you've said, Richard, there was definitely abuses, but there are but there are a lot of companies out there that could really legitimately use the advantages of the 831B election. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll come on to that kind of reputation and what it means to the broader 831B market going forward. Just going back to the the status of those thousands, hundreds of thousands, I imagine, of documents that have been filed already uh, in response to notice 2016-66. Kevin and Cassie, what's your view on, you mentioned that obviously there's probably some uncertainty regarding whether the the ruling has stayed or there's an appeal. But if let's say that the, the case does kind of finish here, what would be the status of, of all those documents that have been filed? Would they have to be destroyed by the IRS, returned to the original submitters submit, submitters of them? What, what's going to happen there? Yeah, they'd have to be returned at this point. I mean, I don't see the one guy working in this warehouse. I mean, that's the rumor. There's like one guy in this warehouse with thousands and thousands of documents. I don't see him like boxing them up and getting them ready to yeah. go out at this point. But the ruling does say that they have to be returned. It's a very interesting ruling, too, because the IRS did not prohibit, I mean, excuse me, the court did not prohibit the IRS from using the material because arguably the material could be obtained in other ways. And in fact, most of it probably is obtained through the normal tax filing process. Yeah. Didn't they say uh, the IRS has admitted that they already have this information. Correct. So it really, yeah, it was just a burden. I mean, it's it's not clear what information they have from the tax filing process that, you know, what additional information they might get from the notice uh, filing requirements. But the court stated that in order to uh, limit future litigation regarding where the material came from, they're not going to penalize the IRS if they use this information. However, they did order the IRS to return all of the filings to the taxpayers. So it's a bit of a quandary in terms of how you resolve that. It's sort of like you you have to send all the paperwork back, but we're not going to penalize you if you use some of that information. Um, it's a bit of an odd ruling, I think. And it's also obviously an incredible burden for the IRS to have to return all of those documents. It might have been a lot easier to say, uh, we order you to destroy the documents. That might have certainly would have been better for the IRS, I think. Oh, yeah. But the court was obviously not worried about any burden on the IRS when they made that ruling. And some of the details of this, it's possible, I think, in an appeal that some of the details of that might 
get changed, not the substance of the fact that the rule no longer has to be complied with, but maybe some of the 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 burden and and the the judgment that they have to actually return all these documents. I don't see how that's practically ever going to happen. The audits underway now probably aren't going to be affected at all, but going forward, maybe that'll slow it down for the, the processes and you know those legitimate captives. Correct. And that's essentially what that ruling said was if you're using this information now in order to audit or, or to um, impose burdens or, or penalties and sanctions on taxpayers, this, this ruling is not going to slow that down. Gary touched upon it a bit there, Kevin, previously regarding what the impact might be on the, the reputation of 8031B captives or their broader use. How do you feel this ruling in isolation will impact the market and we know that there's lots of new captives being formed at the moment of all types and sizes because of the hard insurance market do you think this will give some more cause for optimism for people who maybe were considering but were kind of on the fence if they were wanted to go down this route or not i i think it will help to a modest extent i'm not sure i would say reputationally but as a practical matter having to comply with the notice was a heavy burden for the taxpayer. But just as big, if not bigger, is the burden of whether or not the IRS is going to audit them and how how strictly they're going to, to audit them. And, and we have seen in the last five years, many companies that are sort of perhaps on the fence or perhaps using the 831B with modest benefits actually decide to give up and walk away. Lots of lots of people have done that because they don't want to deal with fighting the IRS and the cost involved. There's significant costs involved when you're audited. And I do think it will help to some extent, but what will really make a difference is the response of the IRS and whether or not they continue to audit 831Bs in a very massive way. I agree with Kevin. I mean, I just, but I know I've got quite a few clients that are doing, for instance, and I'll be honest, property captors are the ones we see an awful lot of interest using the 831B election because it's such a short tail and um, it's a very beneficial for them to be able to pool the funds. So a lot of them have said, if I feel I'm doing this correct, and this election is there, this is helpful to them because they're sort of feeling like they're in the right and some of them are even willing to fight. Um, so anything that sort of gives them comfort that the IRS is being too aggressive or their intimidation might be pushed back again by some courts is going to help. It's certainly, I agree with Kevin, it's not going to change the course of, you know, 831B elections, but for those who are what I call well within the sort of, you know, this, what should have been the previous safe harbors or 12 companies or, you know, you got real estate companies with 50 different properties that should really fit this and they're only doing commercially available coverages, I think this will help. So the, what I call the very, the most obvious legitimate uses of 831Bs should be encouraged by this. Yeah, and I would add to that for the record, the 831B micro captives were taken off the IRS dirty dozen list. Yeah, so you, what? So the suggestion is there, Cassie, that you think there already is some momentum shift in terms of the priority that 831Bs have on, on the IRS's um, list? No, not necessarily, but that is something to um, look at as encouraging. I would I argue that. So just to finish then, and I think Kevin and Cassie, I think you've both made us quite clear already, but you know, obviously as I said, we we agree that there is abuse of the election does exist. Do you expect though that the IRS will keep the pressure on, albeit maybe needing to find a new way to extract some of this information if they don't already have it? 
obviously it's a setback, Kevin, for the IRS, but you seem to think that they will be trying to do this again in, in another way, whether it's starting again afresh or appealing. They could actually become more aggressive with the audits because that's another way to obtain this information. And I would expect that they will continue to be aggressive in their audits of 831B transactions. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Kevin, as we know, the IRS hired audit teams specifically to audit 831Bs. I don't know the status of that right now, but I I don't see it slowing down. And then, you know, if we get a stay or uh, the appeal, you know, is taking a while, I I just, I think they're still going to go after them, but it should help the industry because we know more now about, you know, how to prove legitimate captives. Unfortunately, we're not given explicit instructions by the tax court is who we look to for these decisions, but we're moving in the right direction. Again, my only issue again here is I'm interesting. It's to a great degree, and Cassie can argue that it's been the ones that have been in the pools that have been the most targeted to this point. Yeah. And moving on that is certainly going to be a whole lot less efficient for the IRS. So my only hope, and again, it is a hope, not only is that they're going to be a little more cautious about picking on the individuals. I'm not going to say it's they're not going to, but there's a whole lot less effective ability for the IRS to sort of deal with them when they're having to do them, pick them off one at a time than when they can do 100 or 200 or 300 at a time. So this may help the the single ones a little bit, but um, that's me being optimistic. And we obviously, the IRS could be continue down this path and pick on the single ones as well. But that that is a much more laborious and less effective approach than they've been able to do so far picking on either you know a material advisor's pool the pools have been a much easier target than picking them off one by one so just just to finish then i've seen on on some other communications that i think sean king described the ruling as a quote total victory i'm getting a sense from from yourselves that that may well be the case but as you said at the start kevin the battle war or the war in terms of uh the industry proving the case of legitimate eight from b captures to the irs is 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 not one or, or not over absolutely not and, and it's a long it's a long many years battle against captives it goes back a long time and it's not just 831b captives but it's any type of captives it's just that right now the 831bs are smaller and they're they're really more low-hanging fruit, if you will. They've been abused too. And they and there have been there has been abuse, absolutely. Mm-hmm.